Today I am very excited as this is the first episode of this new show Chocolate Cake on Tuesday and we are kicking it off yay with a good old-fashioned book review. The book we'll be looking at is called The Warrior which is part of the Sons of Encouragement series by Francine Rivers. I saw this little novella in the second-hand book section at a market in South Africa um, during our last trip when we were there. It caught my eye as I have loved every single book that I have read by this author. And it being Christmas, my husband snuck in when I wasn't looking and bought it for me and I have really enjoyed reading it so I thought I would share um, the highlights with you today. If you don't like reading, that's okay. I totally get you. I have included some of the highlights of the book in this episode so that you get in on all the tasties without having to lug through the whole thing. However, there is much delight to be found in the details. So if you do like to read, I can highly recommend this book. It is based on the biblical hero Caleb who basically no one ever talks about in comparison with other heroes like his companion Joshua of the Battle of Jericho or leader Moses who parted the Red Sea. As I am a rooter for the underdog, I appreciated River's focus on the character of Caleb and her effort to tell a story often overlooked in other contexts. Caleb's is a story of obedience, courage, war and victory. Themes of idolatry, faith, warfare and hope, which we will get into later, are explored in this book. It is a story about courage, as I said, but the kind of courage it takes to stand firm in what you believe in, and here's the important part, even if it means standing alone. Above all, it is a story of a faithful God who in his infinite mercy loved the nation of Israel through every trial and never failed to do all that he had promised. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it and thank you again for being with me here today. Let's jump right into the content of this episode with a little more about the book itself, just so that you can get an overall feel about what it is we're talking about today. This book is an historical, biblical epic set at about 15,000 BC, so a long time ago. It's set just after the great exodus took place. Yes, the one where Moses famously parted the Red Sea during the time in the wilderness and conquering the Promised Land as well. The book begins with tragedy. Plagues are swarming Egypt. Caleb, an Edomite, joins the Israelites and flees slavery in Egypt. We'll get more into what an Edomite is later. Caleb, after joining the Israelites, journeys with this great nation through parted seas, dry wilderness, plagues, and battles, all in quest for the land that their God has promised them. 
We will get more into the details of this great story soon. First, as I have mentioned, that this story is biblical. I wanted to clarify to what extent Rivers followed the actual story in the Bible. The main guiding principle of Rivers' writing is the Bible itself, specifically the books of Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. Her story remained true to the events described in the Bible, with some parts of fiction skillfully worked into the main story, including some additional characters and also creative motives that are not mentioned in the Bible, but these could have easily fit in. Now, I think this is a good time to answer a question that I'm sure is in some of your minds. Why am I still listening to this book review if I don't actually want to read the Bible and I have no desire to read anything based on it? After reading this book, I think that it could be enjoyed by any person, even a non-religious person. The reason is that With the question of truth versus myth aside, this book is actually an exciting page-turner, and not too long, so you could read this in one or two sittings. It is an historical fiction. You get to experience the thrill of the life of a courageous soldier and a great nation that conquered and overcame. You could read this book as if it were a legend of old, just like any of the Marvel characters based off of Greek heroes. Caleb and his Israelite friends could be a biblical legend too, and it's a good one. Being historical, this book is also particularly interesting as it's accurate to the culture of 3,000 years ago, whether it's talking about topics such as marriage and the aspect of polygamy where the men in those days actually had more than one wife, Um, You get to see what it was like to be a nomad living in tents as a camp, the nation of Israel before it was referred to as the nation, it was referred to as the camp. Um, They basically didn't stay in a place for longer than God told them to, so they were always on the move and they had to be ready that when that shofar the horn, the ram's horn blew, they would have to get up, pack up everything and move to the next space. It also covered things like medical science in those days, um, strategy in warfare, and interestingly, like how they created government. Because if you think about it, this nation started out as a family who moved to Egypt during a time of famine in their own land of Canaan. And now what they're actually trying to do, in essence, is find their way back to Canaan, which is now occupied by um, a lot of other nations. And they've grown from a family to an enslaved nation, and then from that into a free nation wandering around in the wilderness. I can't imagine what it was like trying to create order and structure and leadership in this time. Um, Caleb also had an influence in government, which we will get to later. On top of all of this, it also follows the life of Moses, 
who is one of the greatest and oldest leaders of mankind. And as a almost cherry on top, it is such an inspiring story. It is of a man whose own strong convictions gave him such courage and hope that enabled him to remain steadfast, strong and honorable during a very uncertain time in his nation's history. Something which I think yeah, we can all relate to and look up to today. So I think you're really excited to find out who is this man, Caleb. You've got a little bit of his context, a little bit of um, the story that he inserts himself into or finds himself inserted into. Who is Caleb? Caleb is an Edomite, which means that he is a descendant of Esau, who was the son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham. Esau was the red-haired, grizzly guy, the brother of Jacob, from whom Israel, the nation, descends from. Israel is another name for Jacob. The story goes that Jacob tricks their father into blessing him with Esau's inheritance, the inheritance that actually belonged to the older son, Esau. From that day, the Edomites and the Israelites were on shaky ground. Caleb starts out as this half-breed slave in Egypt during the reign of King Ramses II. When he leaves Egypt with the Israelites during the Great Exodus, all he knows is farming. He then goes on to become, as he is more famously known as, one of the twelve scouts that were sent by Moses to scout out the Promised Land, along with Joshua, whom some of you might have heard of. Through his hope and faith in the God of the Israelites, he becomes one of the only two men of that generation to cross the Jordan River into the land that their God has promised them. So from farmer to scout, he then becomes one of the most courageous warriors of that time, fighting well into his 80s, and also becomes head of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah, the tribe that was blessed fervently by Jacob or Israel himself, and was the very tribe that Jesus Christ descended from. To me, Caleb really is the unsung hero of the Exodus story. He is a really noteworthy character for someone who doesn't get much limelight. He's a bit like Hamilton, mm, the right-hand man of George Washington. I love that production. Caleb was the right-hand man to Joshua, and Joshua the right-hand man to Moses himself. Guys, Caleb was cool. Another fun fact about Caleb is that before he died, he gave his daughter, who was a very wise and what they would call a God-fearing woman, Aksa, to a man named Othniel who later became Israel's first judge, basically the military leader of the nation of Israel. In this rendition of his story, Rivers portrays Caleb as a very passionate man and a sincere follower of his God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This passion drives him to become angry at times, very angry, and you can see throughout the book he moves from a man who seeks revenge in his anger to a man who, as Rivers puts it, feels compassion in his anger. Caleb's own internal battle with anger 
compassion, bitterness, and hope was what grabbed my attention most in the book. But more on this later. I see your coffee cup could use a refill. And it's just about time for a short break where I'll tell you a little bit about what's coming up on the show. After that, I think you're all a little curious to hear just a few words about the author of the book herself, who is no other than the award-winning author of the historical romance novel Redeeming Love, Francine Rivers. But first, welcome to my kitchen. Take a seat. I'll put the kettle on. I wanted to take a moment with you to share these three things that you can expect from this show. First, this is my first podcast that I am hosting, and so there might be some rough edges here and there, and I ask you to bear with me as we journey, learn, and discover together. Second, you can expect to find one new episode right here every second Tuesday. I've spaced it out so that you are not overwhelmed, but also so we aren't apart for too long. Third, you should know that when I bake, I don't follow a recipe, and every time I make a dish, it comes out differently. Yes, that means there is no set theme for chocolate cake on Tuesday, so we can do whatever we want. You can be sure that every episode will be clean, encouraging, and hopefully interesting to you. Oh, there goes the kettle. Do you take sugar? Now, where were we? And we are back from the break, and you are listening to Chocolate Cake on Tuesday, and I am Charlotte Russell. I am so excited about this next segment in this episode. We are going to talk about the author of The Warrior, who is none other than Francine Rivers. This happens to be the fifth Francine Rivers book that I have read, and while it is not her usual romance novel that I have loved, she has such a beautiful way of portraying the intricacies of the human soul and the complexities of its relationships. And she did it again in this book, and I absolutely loved it and appreciated it. Rivers wrote the five books of the Sons of Encouragement series, of which this book is one, in the years 2004 to 2007. Now, just a little bit about Rivers' is... <laughs> okay. Rivers is not an easy surname to have more than one or to have something belonging to it anyway. She began her writing career with a novel, Kathleen, which not many people know. Uh, this was published in 1979. She had studied German journalism and English in the University of something or other that I, I'm actually not sure. And she was excited to get started on her writing career. So off she did. She started with Kathleen. She had always wanted to be a writer, even though as a child, as I said before, she didn't like to read. Because of this, she didn't quite know what she would write about, and so her first pieces were many genres bundled into one kind of pieces. In 1986, Rivers became a born-again Christian after an eight-year-old boy invited her and her husband to church in their newly moved into neighborhood. 
Now, I mention this because it impacted her whole career as a writer and shifted not only the themes in her books, but also the way she wrote, her lifestyle, as well as the writing. Not many know this, but during the period that River became a Christian, her marriage was falling apart. Life at home was very difficult, and she does not look back on the novels that she wrote in that time with any nostalgia at all. She calls her early works her BC bibliography, which is kind of cute, and has, <laughs> fun fact, has actually bought the copyright for each of these novels. They were about seven or eight, so that they could be discontinued and never sold again. So you can still find these like in old book stores or like probably secondhand bookshops, but new you'll never find again. I don't know if you've ever had a piece like that where you've just created, 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 and then you look back 30 years later and you're like, or even five years later, whatever, and you're like, ew, can I just like remove that from the universe? Because that is, I do not want people to be reading that. That will ruin my reputation of who people know I am to be today. But as well, I think it's so beautiful to create in those moments because, because this season is important enough to capture. And someone who comes after you might be in this very season you're in now. So even though you move on, there are people coming behind us in age, in season, in generation, where they will really appreciate the fact that you did create during this season where it's not ideal, it's you, the work you're creating is not ideal because they are in this season and they need to know, hey, look, I can, this is what it's like, This, they get me, I can now create myself and be where they are maybe one day. Anyway, back to Rivers. After she was saved with a crumbling marriage and a searching soul, Rivers began a three-year journey of restoration and could not write a word. She tried to write, but her old way of doing things just wasn't working anymore. She needed to find a new way of storytelling, and this took some time, and she didn't rush the process. This gave me so much encouragement, as well as creating in the time that you are in. If there's a time where you cannot create, don't rush the creation process. Some stories, some ministries, some testimonies take years of living it out to actually have a story. It's important to be where you are and not to cancel out the season where you are so that you can move ahead to the next season because there are so many treasures in this season. Rivers began to study the Bible in this season. She spent her days in the Word, hosting people in her home, and looking after her kids. And it's not just me, probably, who, if I met her during this time, I would have thought, oh, well, that's just sad. I mean, after a very promising career, you're now looking after the kids. I mean, don't you want more out of life? What are you doing? But she didn't know how long it would take, yet she still kept at it. She still kept in the season that she was in. One day, after she had completed a Bible study with some friends on Hosea, another book in the Bible, she realized that she was captured by the love displayed by this prophet 
towards his wife, Gomar, who was a prostitute. Rivers could not hold back. Out of her three years of seeking and being filled, her first After Christ novel was birthed, Redeeming Love. In every piece of writing that Rivers creates, she is answering a question, usually about her faith. After reading The Warrior, I asked myself, what question is Rivers answering in this book? I have come to the conclusion that Rivers is in fact answering a few questions, which are, what does it look like to be a strong support to a leader, whether it's your boss, your husband, if you're a wife, or someone whom you follow? She answers, what does it look like to fight for what you believe, and how do we have hope when in our own heart and all around us is utter despair? Rivers wrote this book to encourage her readers that there is hope, and to inspire those who find themselves in the fray to keep going, to not give up, and to keep fighting when fighting is what's needed. In writing, she also wanted the opportunity to open up the Word, the Bible, to those who may not enjoy or desire to read the Bible itself. Through her words, she portrays the Lord as present, real, and passionately interested in each of our lives. Rivers herself relates to this book in a deep way. She needed to know this Lord that was so close to Caleb after she spent so long thinking that the Lord was ashamed of her and had forgotten about her. Rivers tells us of the time when her marriage was struggling. She had had an abortion in college and hadn't had the guts to tell her husband when they got married. A few years later, after they had been married, she told him he was upset she was insecure. This brought a lot of strife and insecurities into their marriage. When the couple did decide to have kids of their own, she had three miscarriages. She felt forgotten, ashamed, and lost. And in general, her life was just not going as she planned. She then speaks about the moment that she discovered the person of the Lord. The person that Caleb knew of the Lord. The Lord as ever faithful and infinitely merciful. She says, and I quote, We wanted our way and to have control of our own lives. But having control is an illusion. As a child, I had asked Jesus to be my savior. What I didn't understand is, I needed to surrender my life to him and allow him to be Lord of my life as well. Our hearts and minds, and here she speaks of her husband and herself, opened to Christ. We both accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord and were baptized in May 1986. Since then, God has been changing our lives from the inside out. The Lord also healed our marriage. We celebrated our 40th anniversary this year and that was written in 2009, so they would have celebrated their 50th anniversary a couple of years ago. Yay! It's beautiful to see such good things flourish out of a hard time. Now, dear listeners, we have almost come to the end of our time together today. 
but I thought I would end by briefly sharing my own story with you and how this book has inspired me and also challenged me as a person. I have, let's call it, a journey with hope. I had my first encounter with the word hope itself when I was 16 or 17, I can't remember. I was going through a hard time at that point, probably just teenage stuff, you know. Um, But I hadn't journaled once in that year, despite being an avid journalist, you know, writing in my journal, not writing news columns. (laughs) I was going through not depression per se, but I was just very sad about a lot of things and also about things that I couldn't name. I was hurting and I didn't have the words to talk about it. I couldn't even write about it. All I could do was to sit in it. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way or are feeling that way now, where the hurt is just there with you and you feel alone, yet there are so many people who want to help you. It's like the world closes and you're here with your hurt and there's nothing you can do. One day, I was sitting on my trampoline in our garden alone with my journal, reading some past entries. And I remember looking up to the branches of our very tall gum trees and thinking, there must be hope. Surely there's a future. Surely there will be true joy again. Surely hope. I couldn't see it. I couldn't feel it. And so I wrote it down. I wrote it down so that somehow, somewhere, it would exist. This was my first encounter with hope. Since then, I have found hope and lost it again. And I have found it and lost it. And more often than not, I am afraid to say that I am without it. In tough situations, for some reason, I lean towards despair. Maybe it's because I value what I value with so much intensity and longing that when I lose these things, I cannot imagine life without them. It sounds drastic, I know, but nonetheless, it's what I feel. Do you ever feel like this too? Well, Caleb felt like this, but for him, it was different. And I was so drawn to his way of handling despair in bad situations. I thought maybe there's some way that I can see things the way that he sees things. Caleb saw through the eyes of hope. To best illustrate it, I'm going to give you an example straight from the book. For context, Caleb has just been told by Moses, the leader of Israel, that they would only cross over the land God had promised them 40 years later, because after scouting this land out, 10 of the 12 men had returned with fear in their hearts, which spread throughout the camp. The details of why Moses delayed their journey by 40 years and why Moses himself never got to enter the land can be found in the book. 
But do understand that Caleb was very angry. He was not one of the ten who deserved punishment, yet he would be eighty years old when they would be allowed to enter the land that he had just been inside a few days ago. And his kids, they would be his age when they could enter. He had pictured them growing up there, making a home for them, making a home for his wife. Now his wife would never see the land that he planned to take her and his family to. The portion that I'll read takes place when they have set off into the wilderness and have 40 years of wandering ahead of them. Joshua comes to talk with Caleb about his own doubts. Caleb here encourages his friend by showing him that there might be hope in their dire situation after all. I read, opening with Caleb's line. You have no compassion for them, Caleb clenched his teeth. They suffered for their lack of faith, Caleb. Their lack of faith could grow within our ranks. Inactivity breeds rebellion. We must do something. What better than to prepare for the battle ahead? You speak as though we were soldiers or charioteers. We are slaves. We were slaves. Now we are free men with God's promise of a future and a hope. The children born to us in the wilderness will never have known the yoke of Egypt. They will be born beneath the canopy of God. They will walk in his presence every day of their lives. Perhaps it is for us who spent most of our lives bowing down to others to learn to be like children. If I am bound to anyone as slave, it is to the Lord our God. You must not weaken, Joshua. You must not allow yourself to look back, but up. He pointed to the pillar of fire and out to what is before us. He pointed north to Canaan. It is the wandering that wears upon me, as it wears upon us all, but it is a training ground, too. Caleb looked toward the horizon. Would God rise up tomorrow and lead them somewhere else? Only the Lord could lead them through this wasteland and bring them to water. We may believe we wander aimlessly, my friend, but I am convinced God has a plan. I must believe or I would despair. We were judged, and now we live with the consequences of our sins, but surely this isn't all about punishment. Every day we keep our eyes upon him. We are learning to move when he moves. It is punishment. Yes, yes, Caleb grew impatient, but it is also opportunity. He had thought much about it over the past weeks. Perhaps God always has more than one purpose. He judged us righteously, but he shows us mercy. He gives us the law on which to fix our minds and hearts, a law that sets me at war within myself. And God told us to sacrifice every morning and evening. The smell is a constant reminder. He knows us so well. He gives us food and water to sustain us. He directs our every step. When the Lord rises up, we strike our tents and follow. 
When he returns to the tabernacle, we camp and we wait. In Egypt, our taskmasters did our thinking for us, and we responded like beasts of burden. Now we must think as men. We are not animals that graze at whatever pasture is available to us. We are faced with choices. Do we grumble among ourselves or walk the path that God has given us? This is so powerful. I love that line. Perhaps there is always more than one purpose to a circumstance. Yes, it absolutely sucks when we've gone to so much effort and something happens and it all falls apart and we're disappointed and we don't deserve it. I understand that. But there is always opportunity to hope. There is always good in the bad. With pain and suffering, there can be joy and opportunity in the same moment. Joy and suffering can exist together. Don't get me wrong. To grieve is necessary and good. One amazing tool that we can lean on when we are grieving is to be in community, be in some sort of group of people who love you, who are hopeful themselves. Like Caleb, they will show you, the Joshua of the story, hope when you don't see any. And perhaps we can be a Caleb to the people around us. We can be an encourager, a believer and a hope giver to those who have lost hope, who are grieving or who are just going through a really tough time. And I hope that this message today, this book review has encouraged you in this way. I hope that if you are going through a hard time right now, that this little snippet of this book has encouraged you today. If you're in Lisbon and you'd like to read this book, message me on Instagram and you can borrow this book for sure. Thanks for listening to Chocolate Cake on Tuesday. I am Charlotte Russell and I hope you have the most beautiful day.